Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic interventions. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. On this episode of the LOL Pod, my guest, Brielle Mabry, and I talk about money, our history and relationship with money, establishing wealth building practices, and letting go of the shame of not knowing what we didn't know. Let's jump in. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Super excited uh, to talk with my guest today. She is the founder of the financial empowerment firm, Wisdom Then Wealth, and the best-selling author of Seven Figure Net Worth, Modern Wealth Blueprint for Black Americans. I have with me Brielle Marbury. Hey, Brielle. Hello. Hey, hey. I'm really excited to have this conversation for a number of reasons. One, um, I'm trying to get my life together. I'm trying to get my financial life together. And so um, your book has been very helpful and instrumental in that. And I'm super excited to share your work with my listeners. But also, we go way back. So Tania and I are friends from undergrad, Go Blue. And it is so really nice when you can um, connect and reconnect with people that you shared space and time, energy, and some really awesome moments with. And even though life has taken us to different parts of the country and we're doing all these things, I love when we can reconnect and we're doing our thing and we can share what we're doing with other people. So welcome. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you. Excited to be here. And so I am going to start like I do with all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? Yes. Well, besides my two amazing inquisitive daughters... (laughs) Um, My Labor of Love is uh, this book that um, I'm so glad that you are enjoying and being blessed by. Um, It was something that over summer of, you know, 2020, when I was taking a look at the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that was going on around me, um, I really asked myself, what is my contribution, you know, in all this, you know, back in the underground days, I mean, undergrad days, we'd be quick to protest and (laughs) get in the streets and Mm -hmm. do a sign. And, you know, and not to say that that still doesn't have its place and time in my life, but I just wanted to think about what could I do. And so there was a phrase that really just stuck in my head, which was black entrepreneurship is the most powerful form of activism. And it just kept ringing in my head and I couldn't get it out. And I kept just like praying about it. And I'm huge in, you know, to black entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship in general. But I realized that one of the barriers that a lot of us face in making the leap into entrepreneurship is black personal finance. And so I really wrestled with it. Um, It was something that I just really couldn't get out of my spirit with black personal finance, black personal finance, because I felt deeply inadequate um, to speak about it just because my personal background is rooted in experiences of poverty. um, And, you know, I've struggled with finances. I've cried over finances Mm. and I just felt like, wow, how can I be qualified at all to share this. But as I started writing, I just realized there was so much inside of me and so much that I had learned. And as I started, you know, sharing concepts here and there with people about what I was writing, it really resonated with them and they would want to talk about it more or they identified with it. Or I was surprised that things that I viewed as just baseline knowledge that people had no clue about. So really writing this book, um, it was actually kind of fast um, when I talked to other people about it because from like concept to publication was like five months. Um, So it was a very intense period. It was crazy because I was taking my first class um, in my MBA program at Harvard at the same time while working full time, while being a wife, while managing my own businesses. Uh, (laughs) It was a lot. 
but I, I was so passionate about it and I had some really great people come alongside me and work with me and um, some really great people support me. And I mean, it was research, it was studying, it was um, introspective, it was my own emotional work, it was fighting my own, you know, feelings of inadequacy, it was prayer, it was reflection. And, um, and literally, like when I did my first beta read, and I got such amazing feedback, I was, you know, so humbled by it. But yeah, so this, um, the seven figure network book is definitely um, a labor of love. And um, I, I shared, um, I don't know if you remember this, but back in undergrad, I used to be editor of the black book, which I was do. a yearbook for African Americans at the University of Michigan. Well, I used to spend weekends and nights holed up in that in the union office and all of that. And I said, you know what, I don't know if it's sad or what, but I just don't remember working so hard on anything in my adult life except for this book since then mm -hmm. and I was like maybe I need to be more passionate in my adult life or maybe I've just been chilling I don't know but this was truly something I just don't think it was like the research paper that never ended, and finally right? ended. so it was definitely a true labor of love and um I've just been so humbled that it's been so well received um because it was a lot of work Yes. Well, <clears throat> there's something, there's a lot you said, and I'm, I'm excited to um, dive into it. But something that I talk about very often on the podcast is, you know, I bring people on and I say, what's your labor of love? And one thing that I want the listeners to hopefully see the pattern is that our labors of love are within us. Like we, we have to birth them. It takes work. It takes dedication. It takes time, but no one really comes on here and says, Oh, I had to like go outside of myself to do this thing. It's in there. And what I love that you mentioned is what you thought was just basic common information. Some people had no idea. And I think that's so key that we sometimes just think that, the, the base knowledge that we have and the lived experiences that we've gone through are very common to most people. Even if intellectually, we know that's not 100% true, we're like, well, surely people know this. And so we don't think we have much to contribute or add, or we'll say things or think things like, well, so-and-so is already talking about that, right? I mean, it's so easy for me to be like, well, the world has Brene Brown, right? Why do they need me? Because I'm Shonda. <laughs> and Brene is Brene. And I love Brene. But she's not me. And I'm not her. And we bring so much more. So, you know, in addition to the fact that I do think there is um, limited information that I've seen specifically geared towards the Black community around finances, I think could have been so easy to be like, well, plenty of people are talking about wealth. And, but I love that you dug in and you were like, but I'm Brielle. <laughs> like, I'm going to bring something that other people don't and fighting past those feelings of, of inadequacy or imposter syndrome or all these things that's like, who do you think you are? I'm me. And I love that you like stood with your elongated spine and your squared shoulders and was like, this is what I'm bringing because I love it. So when you talk about like um, how the process was very intense, five months, I'm like, oh, girl, that's 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 half the term of a baby like you you birthed this thing um you know relatively quickly what were the things that kept you going that kept you pushing and fighting and persevering during those tough times yeah for me there were certain topics that i just knew i wanted to cover right so the book is broken out into four sections it's you know your numbers your habits your mindset and um your legacy and so I'm kind of weird, I guess. Um, I didn't start with like an outline really, except for maybe that. Um, and so I just had things I knew I wanted to talk about. So I just was just like pouring out the things that I knew I wanted to talk about. And then, um, you know, I went back and filled in the gaps. And so, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was, for me, in my journey, I've read a lot of books about finance and wealth and wealth building because it was something I didn't feel like I got in my household. But one thing I struggled with was that a lot of the books that I read were just about the X's and the O's. They didn't deal with the emotion or the culture or the um, psychology 
as it related to money. And I felt like because so much of what we do, especially, you know, as Black Americans or Black millennials related to money is rooted in cultural influences, is rooted, is rooted in our psychology, is rooted in our emotion. I really felt very compelled to write about that um, because so much of, you know, people say it's, you know, it's 90% of what you know, 10% of what you do or however it is, right? Like it's not what you know, it's what you do. But the gap between what we know and what we do are emotions and our psychology and all of that. But for that to be absent with the intersection of money, that was really a huge driving force for me. The second driving force is that I felt like a lot of, you know, some of the books that were written um, aimed towards, you know, uh, Black Americans were like, all right, you know, we've been at the bottom of the struggle and now we just trying to get to the baseline, you know, which is important because let me tell you, in, in my household growing up, we needed that. But I also wanted, you know, some more intermediate strategies, right? Like for Black middle-class Americans. And I didn't see a lot of things that were talking about infinite banking or talking about HSA strategies or, you know, tax, you know, tax advantage strategies or, you know, different things like that. And so I wanted to have the spectrum. So I was really motivated to provide some intermediate strategies, you know, to the market. So I think for me, uh, and then after that, I was like, oh, I got to cover the baseline. So uh, like chapters like credit score, I didn't really want to write, you know, A, I'm, I'm mad that I have a really high credit score. That's a completely different conversation. Um, but I do talk about that in the book, how, you know, I have mixed feelings around my credit score. But um, so then after I wrote about the stuff I really wanted to write about, I was like, oh, I can't publish a book on finance without talking about credit scores. So then I had to like go back and that was probably the hardest part of the push was like the stuff that I didn't feel as passionate about writing. But it was funny because after it was done, like I remember one of the first people that was uh, one of my uh, early reviewers was like, oh my gosh, I love the credit score chapter. That helped me so much. I've been struggling. You put some good stuff in there. And I was like, see, like that's why I had to push. So it's kind of funny because even the, the sections that I didn't necessarily feel passionate about writing still resonated. So sometimes you push through that and it's still a blessing to other people. So yeah, yeah that's absolutely. what really got me going. I love it. So a couple of things um, where I feel like there is an intersection in our work. One, before I say that, is what I appreciate about your book, I appreciate so many things about it. But one thing that I really appreciate is your use of personal story. I personally have just never been fond of books or preachers or teachers or, or anyone who took a disconnected approach to helping me learn. So what I mean by that is people who will be like, well, this is what you need to do. And you need to do this and you need to do that. And then you need to do this. Um, Cause one, as human nature, we are just generally um, <laughs> re resistant to being told what to do. It's just mm -hmm. part of our nature. And so there is a part that wells up like, well, why I got to do that? Even if it's good for you, you don't want someone telling you what to do <laughs> Two. I really just appreciate feeling like somebody who is saying, listen, I'm with you in this process. And that's what struck me about the book is it's a book and I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm where I'm at and you where you're at, but we're in this together. And so it really appealed to me in that way. And this idea of understanding that y'all look, our relationship with money is rooted in our past. And so for me, as someone who specializes in helping people understand how your lived experiences impact how you show up in the present, mm -hmm. this was huge. And um, I would say, yeah, a few years ago when I started my entrepreneurship journey, and I've said this many times, I will say it again, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was just <laughs> not, it, it not at all. It's not what I wanted to do. I'm like, look, I'm gonna take my, my gifts and I'm gonna use it. And I, I never wanted to work for like a fortune 500 company either. I was like, you know what, give me like a small startup company where I can really be impactful. Well, I, I mean, I guess that's entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. <laughs> so all the things I said I didn't want, I, I realized that I've asked for it. I just didn't realize what I was asking for. I'll tell you how I asked for the twins on a different podcast. Didn't know that that's what was happening. But the point is, I started this journey kicking and screaming, really, like for real, Lord, like, why? I don't want to do this. And I realized very quickly in not only 
had I mastered therapy and trauma, but I knew nothing about being a business owner, an entrepreneur. I wasn't business minded. And I, I saw the statistics around the success and failure rates of private practices. And I realized that's because as clinicians, we will spend thousands, literally thousands of hours and tens of thousands of dollars on learning how to be a therapist or a clinician, but think we can take a two-hour webinar on how to run a business and it's going to be successful. And I realized, no. So (laughs) that's not how this works. So I said, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to invest in this business, what does it look like? And one of the things I did is I started working with And you know what? I don't even, she was even a previous guest on my podcast, Liz Kitchell. I don't even know what to call her, but (laughs) she, I started working, understanding my money story and my relationship with money. And this was right on point because I I was already digging into my trauma history and things like that. And y'all, it is so deep, like how, how in, um, interwoven some of these messages are, some of our world views, I remember the day I discovered um, the anxiety and fear that happens when a, fer- when a phone rings and I don't know who's on the other end. And it's like, what is that from? Well, I don't know if y'all remember when caller ID came because we weren't born, like caller ID came in our lifetime. Okay, mm-hmm. so some of the younger folks, y'all think you, you always knew. in the little white box. Yes, girl, <laughs> the little white box that you could mount on the wall and it was in our kitchen. Okay, you only had one. And it was at a time period where I didn't understand what's happening then, but I now realize that my, my parents were dodging collectors, right? So all of a sudden the caller ID comes and you know who's calling. And I can remember like you could don't answer the phone without running downstairs to the kitchen and looking at that caller ID to see who's calling or the phone would ring and I would wait to hear my mom yell, don't answer that, right? So that got lodged in my body right? And that shows up. And and what I didn't realize I was learning because I was absorbing it is, well, what I wasn't learning is address things head on. Yep. When there's an issue, when something has happened, for some reason, you, whatever happened, happened, but I never saw or had an example of address it. I learned avoid it. So mail pile up, don't answer the phone. Oh, she's not here. You know, all of those things. Girl. All of it. No speaking English. No, I'm It's just like, that stuff gets lodged in our bodies. It it informs our beliefs and our worldviews. And that shows up. So I'm saying all that. So just let's talk a little bit about as people begin to, like make some discoveries like oh this is what I saw what I saw didn't directly connect to my expectations I have for myself what do you say to people who begin to uncover some of this like financial emotional baggage yeah hey I I want to tell you personally congratulations for making that connection right because realizing an anxiety you know trigger and then doing the the work to trace that back to childhood and understanding that, like, that's beautiful. Um, Thank you. I think that you have to be thoughtful and intentional. I don't think that this is always something that just happens um, by happenstance, right? Um, I think that, you know, um, I was sharing on a workshop recently that when it comes to mindsets and the things that we um, inherent or inherit culturally or from our family or from TV or messages that we need to document those. So I encourage people to get a piece of paper and fold it in half. And as you go through, you know, either a three-day period or a seven-day period or one hour or one day period on one side of the sheet to, um, you know, if you fold it vertically on one side of the sheet on the left-hand side, 
to write down just all the messages that you have related to money, all the thoughts that you have related to money. And a lot of those just aren't true, right? So, you know, one of the messages, for example, that you had was when you have um, a bill collector do, don't answer it. Don't, you know, and the truth is, is we should pick up, we should negotiate, we should make a payment plan. Um, and so that we have to acknowledge those things. And so I think it's first step is as you uncover them, I always encourage people, and I talk about this in the book, is to replace them with the truth or replace them with a wealth building habit or place them with a wealth building affirmation. Um, you know, for me, I always thought that I wasn't good with money, which is hilarious now that I have written this book. And the fact that I like, I just took um, financial accounting at Harvard and got an A minus in it. And I used to be like, oh, I'm not good at, I'm not good at numbers. And I believe that lie for so long, even though like in under, like um, in high school, I took Calc 1, Calc 2, and Calc 3, like in high school and never had to take a college math class until now. Um, there's just so many lies. And so I think it's just, as you uncover things, make sure that you're replacing them, right? Don't just, you know, address it, but find out what is the inverse of that? What is the replacement of that? And begin to be intentional about speaking those things over your life. You know, if you've never created generational wealth, you know, if you're taking care of your parents financially, but you don't want your kids to take care of you financially, you know, I'm taking the right steps to build a prosperous retirement. You know, um, I have all the capabilities I need to successfully budget, you know, my money. Um, I understand investing, right? So, you know, investing is one that's very intimidating, but we as Black people are brilliant. Like we go to school and like, I mean, we go to work every day in like neuroscience and biology and doctors and, you know, clinicians and we can un undo, you know, a complicated um, case study or we're doing complex logistics as a, as a warehouse, you know, manager or, you know, managing a fast food restaurant and managing all of the different components related to that we're smart people Girl, right getting your getting all your kids out the house on time and making it to where right. you know it's complex logistics <laughs> yes yes every single day so if we can do that then we can apply that knowledge to understanding investing and so you know just taking you know or being like oh invest in it for me you know like whatever those mindsets are and just replacing them with I can understand investing you know um so that is really the advice that I that I that I give you know to people um because I am not a clinician so I'm sure there is some uh, other things that you might want to do if you're um you know, that is rooted in trauma. But if it's just baseline reflecting and making connections, then I say replace it with with a habit and make sure you attach an affirmation to that, that you repeat in your head to overlay that prior, you know, erroneous thought. I love that. It's so rich in so many ways. I think it can be applicable, not just in finances, but um, what I love about it too is those affirmations, they matter, y'all. And I'm even going to take a step further and say, say it out loud. Why do I say that? Because so much of the messages we've received about ourselves, we've heard through our ears. We've heard them audibly. Then we, that becomes so ingrained that it becomes our self-talk, what we say internally. So we need to combat what we hear, what we've heard with what we hear. So that affirmation needs to be, I am good at investing. I am good with money. I can, I can manage money. We need to be saying it out loud because you hear you. Not only do you hear you, but your littles hear you. Y'all know, <clears throat> unless this is your very first episode, we're always talking about our inner children. I call them our littles. They are in there. And I know that nine-year-old girl who is terrified to answer the phone is still inside of me. And she is still very avoidant. And she is terrified to make a step because she doesn't want to do it wrong. She doesn't want mommy and daddy to be mad at her. And so I have to say these things out loud because she needs to hear me just like she heard, don't answer that. She needs to hear, no, we're, we're going to address it head on. So I think affirmation should definitely be a combination of out loud and what you say to yourself. That's super important. 
Um, and oh, I was going to say something else. Um, cause that was so good. <laughs> Everything you were saying were so good. Um, but I also just think that once we begin to understand how we absorb, that's it. That's, I, you know, I had to <laughs> blah, 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 mm-hmm. my way to it. And what it is, is so much of how we engage with the world is a combination of what we've seen reflected back at us about who we are as Black people, but also what we haven't seen. So some of it is, um, it's a poverty of exposure to seeing ourselves in the way that we truly are. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of the message we've in messages we've internalized, it's very cultural, it's very systemic, it's rooted in patriarchy and white body supremacy and all that stuff. What that means though is so much of it just isn't true. So like Brielle was saying, we have to take this thing that we've lived with for so long and we've considered it a truth and ask ourselves, I go back to my three questions when you uncover a belief, whatever the belief is, the first question is who told me that or where did I learn it? So then we explore, who told me that? Okay, where did I learn it? we start to find that we can't pinpoint usually a single person who said you are not good with money. So then we start realizing that we have interpreted data in a way that hasn't been helpful. So who told me that? Where did I learn it? The second question is what else could be true? So I'm not even saying the first thing is to be like, this is a lie. No, maybe you don't know that it's a lie. But when you begin to open up the possibilities of other data, what else could be true? Well, maybe I'm not bad with numbers. Maybe I just don't have exposure to numbers. Maybe I deal with numbers on a regular basis. I've just never been affirmed in it or validated. We begin to open up like, what else could be true? And the third question is, who benefits from my belief in this? Mm. That's the one that always gets me. When I sit there and be like, so who is actually benefiting from my belief that I can't manage wealth? I'm going to tell you, the same people who are accumulating wealth on high numbers. I know 1% of the population really benefits from me believing that I can't manage wealth. And so sometimes we have been gaslit so long, we gaslight ourselves. And then we're like, I can't, I won't, I'm not. And I'm not, there's no shame in this. I think that's the point I wanna bring across. I get how those messages got in there and we don't have to waste energy and resources on the shame of how did I get here? That just takes up, by the time you're done figuring, trying to figure all that out, you'll have any energy to go like, let me put this piece of paper. Yep, here go another belief. What's my affirmation on the other side of that? What's my wealth building practice? So let's redistribute our energy and our resources to not being so caught up in the shame of the thing because it can be very shameful. I've experienced so much shame around money and finances, but I'm like, "Mm, I'm not gonna put my energy there. I'm gonna gonna do this list. I'm gonna do the other things that are in this book. So I think that is so, so super key. Um, there's so much girl. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I just, I love it when for people who haven't gotten the book yet, I think one way that we kind of have similar stories in this, but can you talk to people about the trajectory from a space of poverty, like growing Mm -hmm. up and like being surrounded by poverty And then just kind of this trajectory out of poverty into like a wealth mindset. What's that like? Yeah. So for me, um, my background is, um, you know, I grew up primarily in uh, Mississippi. And when I lived there, um, my mom and I had relocated from a pretty, you know, comfortable lifestyle in Los Angeles. And uh, things were rougher financially for us. Um, and so when I was in California, I was in the best private schools. And so when we moved to Mississippi, our financial situation was a little bit different. So for a couple of years, I was in public schools and then my mom just like really couldn't take it anymore. She didn't feel like, you know, I was being intellectually challenged. So her, you know, being the person she is found a way to get me a partial scholarship and into one of the best private schools in the city we lived in. 
And so that's, you know, where kind of this dichotomous lifestyle started, where my personal lifestyle was kind of, you know, rooted in poverty. But um, when I went to school, it was with classmates that all of their their kids, you know, their parents were on the billboards in the city. And, you know, they all own different restaurants and furniture stores and, you know, different things. They were well off. And so I, you know, from playdates or, you know, just being around, I, I saw that there was clearly a difference, right? And there was a world that I wasn't exposed to. And so, um, you know, once I got that level of exposure, <laughs> I, I was curious about it. And it, it was, you know, similar to you, it wasn't anything that I consciously noted at the time. I knew it was different, kind of noted it. But once I graduated college, I was like, okay, let me figure out how the other people are doing it because I don't want to, you know, replicate what I experienced in terms of financial management or wealth building or different things like that. And to this day, my mom will tell you that her only um, objective with money is to spend it. So she has zero interest in, you know, wanting to manage money or wanting to build wealth. Um, so I, but I, but I did, I, I saw what the level of stability and the level of comfortability that that could provide and not in a very like materialistic way. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like those kids always had the best and the brightest shoes, clothes, you know, things like that. It was a sense of peace, um, a sense of, you know, lack of chaos in, in, in certain ways, like, you know, in the household, it was a, you know, they could vacation, they could do meaningful gifts, you know, it was just a different way of being um, that wasn't necessarily, you know, just rooted in the way that they wore their wealth. Um, and so I started, you know, like I said, I started reading the books. And so um, I did really well for a little bit. <laughs> um, in my 20s, I did really well, I got a condo, you know, started paying off debt. But then the keeping up with the Joneses came up, you know, mm. I, once I got the condo, I had a, a very hefty um, mortgage because I bought at the height of the, uh, the, the housing bubble. And, but my friends who didn't have a mortgage, you know, they were traveling and brunching and doing all that. So I got out my credit card and started, you know, living life with them. And it wasn't, you know, until a couple of years later when I kind of just surveyed the damage and I was like, oh no, like I need to really start applying again, everything that I learned. And so when my husband and I got married, we were like, all right, you know, let's put our heads together and let's talk about what we want. And that really, you know, created um, a meaningful change of just education. And so over the next several years, we just worked my credit score again, you know, went from bottom of the barrel to getting much better. We paid off all of our debt. Um, we started fully funding, you know, our um, 401k each year. Um, we're at the point this year, we're actually uh, gonna fully fund both our 401k and our IRA. We started, you know, building positive net worth. And um, it was just through the application of what we learned. And part of that for us, I think the biggest differentiator was we got a financial coach. So that really kind of shifted our wealth journey. Um, we did take a class together at church around, you know, wealth building. Um, and that did help us have a baseline, but it was like, once we were both growing together, you know, at the same time. And then once we got the financial coach, that's when we really saw the biggest shift, um, in setting our goals, being accountable, paying things off. And that really, you know, made a big difference for us. So in, in my personal journey, it's just been the application and it hasn't been linear. I would have loved to say, oh yeah, you know came out of college and shot right up, but it was, it was wavy, you know, it was a jungle gym, you know, it wasn't a ladder. And um, we just kept studying and we, we're continuing to study. We're continuing, you know, to learn things. Like now we're learning about, um, uh, you know, trust and um, that type of thing. Um, so we're in, you know, in our legacy building phase, we just, you know, uh, recently got custodial accounts set up for our daughters and, um, which are investment accounts that, you know, that you have control of till they're 21 or 25, depending on if you do like a UTMA or a UGMA type of account. Um, 
So it's just, it's just been acquiring knowledge, applying it, acquiring knowledge, applying it. And now it's acquiring knowledge, it, applying it, sharing it, yes. <laughs> applying it, you know, acquiring it, sharing it. So that's really just been our journey um, so far. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I realized, I guess I would say back in 2019 is where this really hit me that like, I don't like before and after pictures. Mm. Um, I, I, I realized I didn't like them and I had to sit with, well, why don't you like it? And I, I went the gamut. I, I, I frequently talk about curiosity and compassion. So lean into yourself with curiosity, be compassionate. And I explored, like, is it a jealousy factor? Like where they are? And I, what I discovered was this doesn't tell me how you did it. Mm. It just shows me where you were and where you are now. And in, in some ways it creates a false narrative or at least a blank narrative that leads people to create a false narrative that, that it's easy or simple or quick or linear and all these things. So I started in like 2019, I said, I'm committed to showing the middle, whatever it is. Like, I don't want to just be like, started from the bottom. Now I'm here. Like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) What was the journey? (laughs) Tell me about the journey, you know, like what? And so in all different things, I like to chronicle the journey because I feel, and not just the pictures, but the emotions behind it. I feel like if I want to say, Hey, I want to be inspirational or I want to sharpen people through things. I need to let y'all know that all days are not good. All days are not happy that I can experience this. And so what I appreciate in what you shared is you were sharing some of that middle stuff. Like the story wasn't, yeah, so I was poor growing up and now we got this and we got that and we got this. And it's like, no, they were all of those different things. And I can appreciate that so very much. And I, I encourage people to recognize that everyone has a middle. Mm-hmm. And if we can recognize that everyone has a middle that we don't see, and, and I also, I'm not trying to knock people who don't want to share the middle. This is my own personal journey, but I do want to encourage people to recognize that everyone has a middle, even if it's not being displayed, even if it's not being shown. I think that's important. And it is about application. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the biggest discrepancies across the history of Black people in this country is a restriction to uh, resources, we have been restricted to so many resources and the the narrative that has been propagated around that is that we are less than um less capable less willing less less all of these things and and that's what else could be true <laughs> now that we have information then we have to apply the information and i think collectively as a culture we are resilient we persevere, we get through, but all of those things are rooted in survival. And so when we are in survival mode, we just engage with the world differently. And I I can recall having a moment, mm, must've been 2019. It's like 2020 didn't happen. Like, (laughs) so I'm going, I'm assuming like it was 2019. And it was a moment when I realized that I was still in my mind in the struggle game. The struggle game, the the persevere, the persevere, the persevere. And I had to stop at one moment and actually look around and go, girl, all, all these things you've been praying about, all these things you've been persevering to, you're here. Like take a moment to recognize. Now that doesn't mean I'm where I ultimately want to be, but like mm-hmm. I was somewhere literally in the moment that my mind and my body hadn't caught up to. So I was so used to overcoming trauma. My email address was she who overcomes. It's still my Instagram. (laughs) She who overcomes, she who overcomes. Like I was so busy focusing on overcoming that I didn't pause, breathe and take in my surroundings enough to realize I had overcame a lot. Once I did that, it was like, oh, (laughs) oh, how about I'm she who is right now? (laughs) Like, what is that? And so I, I love, I love hearing that, um, that you, you've been able to do these things and that you're, you and your partner together on the same page. I mean, that's yes. In the finances, but in so many different things, because if y'all had different 
upbringings and different relationships with money. We come into these relationships and we like, oh, when we were dating, we like to eat at the same restaurants. Oh, okay, the same thing. Then y'all get in there and can't agree on one way to spend money. I'm not, that's not doomsday. It just means now there's some collective work to do about your relationships with money. So yeah, I appreciate that so, so very much. And I think that um, providing the blueprint is what I appreciate. That you didn't just get there and turn around and look at everybody and be like, look at me, I'm here. You reach back to say, I want us all to be here. Were there any inspirations you looked up to people that could help you could help you conceptualize where you wanted to be because you've expressed that well in some ways you went to you were in an environment for school that showed you what could be what would you say to people who they've only been surrounded around where they are that they don't have like this poster board or something that shows them what could be do you have any suggestions or advice for people like that yeah, um, so a couple of things. Um, you know, one, I always, it was funny because on a, um, a call I was doing the other day, we talked about your circle of influence. And so for people who don't necessarily, you know, have a in-person visualized, okay, this is what maybe healthy money habits look like, or this is what a healthy relationship with money looks like. You know, I, I think we're fortunate in that in 2021, we have a lot of media-based influences that we can integrate. We have books, we have YouTube videos, we have Instagram feeds. And so I would say be intentional about curating a circle of influence for your life that reflects healthy relationship with money, healthy habits that stretches your thinking. You know, if you are listening to, you know, certain shows or audible books or whatever, and it doesn't make you go, hmm, or it doesn't like be, you know, cause you to, you know, be inspired, then you probably, you know, want to shift it. So, um, you know, engage people in conversations that don't look like you. You know, one of the most influential conversations for our personal life um, was my husband was having um, a conversation with someone from a different culture. Um, He was coaching their daughter and they talked about their mortgage and they mentioned, um, you know, that their mortgage was completely paid off. And I knew they lived in a very expensive house. and just the concept of a fully paid off mortgage, like within four or five years of moving in was like mind blowing to me at the time. But we've now since integrated it and adopted it. And we're like, okay, well, when we get our house, you know, our mortgage will probably be, you know, within the same ballpark. And we're like, okay, we're going to pay off our mortgage in four or five years. Like we'll be situated to do that. And so those concepts, right. But it took that conversation. I never knew anybody, you know, except for my grandparents who had a paid off mortgage, you know, Mm -hmm. and they worked their whole life to do that. So the concept of paying off a mortgage in four or five years, or, you know, just listen to things that stretch you because if the concepts around you and the conversations around you are always comfortable, then that's a good sign that you need to better curate your circle of influence. And we have the ability to do that digitally through podcasts, you know, like yours through, um, you know, the YouTube videos or your, your um, Instagram. It doesn't have to be all your friends. You know, it can be people that are, you know, talking about wealth um, and wealth building. And I think that that's, you know, very important to do because it should be concepts that continually stretch you. Yeah, I think that's so good. And I think the idea of monitoring our diet, and when I say diet, I mean anything we ingest. What are you Mm. looking at? What are you listening to? What are you smelling? What are you tasting? What's entering your skin? Being intentional about that. And, um, you know, I found, for example, with social media, that if my feed is full of one thing, maybe it's all people of a certain body type and I don't see anything that reflects me or where I am, you know, I think there should be a combination of where you want to get, but also where I am and people who show you the middle so that you're not constantly like, oh, 
so-and-so just did this again. Oh, they just achieved that. But people who help you feel like not just look at me, I'm only doing this, but saying, look at me, I was able to do this, you can too. And I do think that there are a lot of people out there who are saying, come on, what, whether it's achieving a certain level of fitness or health, wealth, and all of those things is super important. <clears throat> One thing that I discovered on my journey when I was discovering what's my relationship with money, what's my money story and things is I use Monopoly as an example. Mm-hmm. I hate, first of all, I hate the game. I am not a fan of Monopoly <laughs> at all. When people are like, oh, let's play Monopoly. My answer is always, I'll be the banker, but I don't want to play. I'll sit here with y'all, but I just, and I realized because I had a lot of anxiety around mm-hmm. Monopoly because it involved money. And I didn't mm-hmm. realize that. And how, when I played my whole thing was just like, don't lose your money, right? I was a very defensive Monopoly player. So it's like, buy that, ooh, I don't know, because if I buy it, I won't have money. Like, I need to get this money. But then what what, are you, what am I going to do with it? I don't know, at least I have it. And I realized that scarcity mindset was like interwoven so much in my real life. <clears throat> so one of the things I discovered is n- money is a resource. Like that yeah. literally is all it is, Right what do I want the money to do for me? What do I, what, what, what do I want this resource for? Once I started to realize that it's not just that I want money, but I want to travel and I want to travel with my kids and I want to travel without my kids. I want to travel with my partner and I want to travel without my partner. I want to experience this. I like culture. I like this. Once I realized that these are the things I actually want, here is how I want to be able to contribute to the world and and what it will take it it started to be less anxious for me because I realized when I started my money journey I was terrified of money and I said it like I'm scared of money Mm. not that I think the little papers are gonna like eat me or bite (laughs) me you know but I was I was so scared of money and I had so many experiences that you know I I it got so bad in college that um, I'm talking eviction notice on my apartment door. Now, no one knew except for maybe two people. My friend Kayla knew and my parents didn't know. Mm. My roommate that I had had moved out because she graduated a year before me. Mm. She didn't know. So one, not only am I like struggle, struggling because my thing was I'm around all these people because what I remember at the time I knew that the median income for a student at the University of Michigan was something like $150,000 for their parents. Mm-hmm. When I tell you that was so far from my reality and I'm like, that's the meat, like that's the middle. Like I couldn't wrap my mind around it, but I had this moment where it's like, it's not fair. They ain't got to work. They can just be students. Why I got to work? <laughs> well, that only long you want somewhere to live right so I went through this whole thing and not only was it hard and scary like lights off right mm-hmm. so I perfected the cold shower I perfected yeah. utilizing on-campus um, amenities to to do all these things but I also didn't tell anyone right mm-hmm. don't answer that mm-hmm. don't answer that it lived in me don't address these things head on act like it's not happening, take the letter off the door and avoid it. And so mm-hmm. I was living that and I was just buried in shame. Mm-hmm. So I didn't tell anyone. I didn't, I didn't have any hope or resources. I, if had I talked to someone, they may have let me know of a bunch of resources that existed, but I didn't. So then you, you I grow older and I'm terrified of money because it's mm-hmm. been so painful and all these things have happened but now I realize like money doesn't, it's not powerful. It doesn't have to have power over me. It's a resource. Yeah. It's a resource to help me do things that I want to do with my life. And that shift has been very helpful. So I hope that's helpful for somebody because I know I'm the only yeah. one who is scared of money or the thought of it, or what do we do with it? And, or we hoard it. And so we don't let it cycle through. When I learned that like money needs to move, that was the craziest thing to me. I'm like, what you mean? What you saying? Like, so I got it. It's right here. And it's like, no, it needs to move. It needs to move. When it goes out, it comes back in. Then it goes out and it comes back in. And I'm like, 
I don't like this because what if it go out and it don't come back, right? So that was just so much. And so surrounding yourself digitally, in person, in your business with people who can help introduce these concepts to you and you can see how they apply it. I do think like that is so super, super important. So that's so yeah. good. Yeah, the one thing I want to say about that is um, I think normalizing conversations about money is so important in our culture. I think because um, a lot of times we don't have a lot or, you know, our parents were struggling to make ends meet or we're struggling to maintain a middle class lifestyle or, you know, were, you know, wanted to give us the latest and greatest or felt like they didn't understand it themselves, even if they had a lot, that money conversations have become taboo the way, you know, sex conversations or politics conversations. Um, and I just don't think it should be that way. I think that part of the reason why so many people carry shame is because we were never taught how to have those conversations. We were never taught how to discuss it. So a lot of people even till today suffer silently because they don't know, they don't have the tools or the equipment to talk about, you know, to talk about money without it being, you know, like for me in my twenties, I didn't know how to say, um, y'all, I got to pay this mortgage. So I'm gonna come to brunch, but I'm not eating anything like that was uncomfortable. Now, at almost 40, I know how to say that, right? Mm -hmm. If I were to need to say it, but I didn't know how to say that then because it wasn't common to be like, yo, like we're on these net worth goals, right? Like, and I just think that, you know, somebody asked me, um, I was on a radio show the other day and they asked me, what is the most appropriate age to start talking to your kids about money? And I'm like, as soon as they're talking, you know, you talk about food, you talk about go take your bath, you talk about how was your day at school, you talk about money, you know, so my kids ask me now, you know, how much do things cost or um, my, my eight year old, we went to a bookmobile the other day. And she asked the lady who was a black female, she said, how much did it cost to get this, you know, this truck started? And I stood there and looked at the lady like, okay, come on, speak game entrepreneur. Like, mm -hmm. tell my baby. She's like, did you have to get a loan? Did you have to do this? As soon as people are curious as kids, we should talk to them about money. And it was something that I realized, like, for example, when we were talking to our financial coach or when we were discussing the budget at first, I would like lower my voice or tell the kids to like leave the room. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? they need to overhear these things because even if it's not in their conscious, it will soak into their subconscious. Yes. Or when I'm working on the budget, they're like, mommy, what are you doing on your computer? I'm like, I'm balancing our, our family budget. Well, mommy, what does that mean? Come here, come look at it. And I think that if we had that exposure or if we can create that exposure, or create that culture of conversation very early on with our kids, then that'll help them as teenagers, that'll help them as adults to have the language to say, okay, this is where I'm going with my money or this is what I need to do with my money or this is what I'm working to accomplish. But if we never give those tools, if we never um, kind of break the stigma culturally and in our relationships about money, then it's going to continue to be hard when we're, you know, up against the wall or, you know, in, in some situations when people just have a lot of money and they don't know how to deal with it, right? It's right. not just in the situations where we don't have money that people aren't having the conversations. It's way too often that too many of us get a windfall and then we still end up with nothing because we still weren't willing to open up our mouth and say, hey, we need some help. We need some resources. We need some guidance. So I just think that, you know, one of the things we can do as, you know, Black millennials, Black Americans is have these conversations early on, have them with our peers, have them, you know, at our brunches, have them at our play dates, like normalize conversations about money and stop making it so taboo to talk about it so that we, you know, can be better equipped when it feels awkward. That's so good. And the interesting thing is, I think in some ways we are talking about money. We just don't realize it. When you tell that child, ain't nobody got money for that, <laughs> right? You're talking about money, but you're also reinforcing one particular aspect of money, which is we don't have, we don't have, we don't have. And like, there are so many adults now who, when they were children, 
um, heard messages of scarcity so much that it just soaked in. And I don't mean like there is a reality. Sometimes what's going out is more than what's coming in or they're very close. I'm not saying that we have to alter our reality or lie. But I do think that there is an opportunity for us to have a more holistic conversation around money and about, and about what we want the money to do, not just to have that. And so that's it. And so I, I, something, it was plaguing me, like, what was I going to ask her? And now I remember, please break down. Cause I don't know. And I know I'm not the only one talk to us about the difference between, and I know you touch on it in your book, but, um, a financial planner, a financial coach, like when someone is saying, I need money help, honestly, they're just like, who do I call or what do different people do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, and and I just want to note that, that that is really important. Like the messages that you say, um, to your kids and reframing them powerfully. You know, one thing I do say to my kids is say, that's, that's not currently in the budget or, um, you know, um, those are, you know, so they, so they understand you, you tell mm-hmm. your money where to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I did, I was quick to be like, girl, ain't nobody got no money for that. And to keep walking. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, well, actually we do. Um, I'm mm-hmm. just choosing not to spend it, but it was so ingrained in me that I said it, even when we do have money, I just didn't want to pay for it. <laughs> well, and it's true. And I think the key is that lesson, right? We control our money. Our money doesn't control us. And when yes. we keep, when everything is, we ain't got the money, we ain't got the money, we ain't got the money. And I'm talking to myself too. I'm just thinking about like, you know, what I will say to my son who wants, it's just like, it's, it's about where is it allocated? And when we don't talk, they make up stories. So it's amazing how kids think, cause right now, like most things are electronic, right? So you got a debit card, you got Venmo, you got all these things. He has no concept. Like back in the day, things were really paper money. So it's just like, well, just do the card. Like there's yes. an infinite amount on there so teaching him through we found this recent app that allows him to hear all the chores you got to do bam you get paid twice a month but 40 percent of that goes into your savings and then here's some that you are going to invest and you accumulate so he's looking at the big number and he comes and he's like okay okay I got this much money and I'm like well you've made that much money Right. Did you see that? That's how much is in savings this is how much you can spend and he like but I and I'm like oh boo but you know who ain't gonna slap you upside the head uncle sam when you get that first check because you're gonna be like oh i'm used to this what all what i what i have made is not all at my immediate disposal right and and he's 11 so it's like and he he's so disappointed i'm like i get it boo i really do like don't that suck imagine that and if you accumulate a lot of debt it will be even it will be a lot less did you have so you know so I I agree like we can send very intentional messages yes no absolutely good for you um but yeah so the difference um between a financial advisor and a financial coach so um a financial coach is they're kind of new um they're they're newer um maybe in the past five six seven eight years it's kind of an industry that has been growing and so traditionally when people thought that they needed help with money, they thought of a financial advisor, which is someone that manages money and invests for you. And typically most of those, um, uh, you know, institutions, companies will have a minimum, a minimum net worth requirement. So, you know, usually it might be a $200,000, you know, um, in liquid assets or $200,000 in income. Um, it's, it's, it can, you know, be pretty high for some houses. It might be, um, you know, a million dollars in assets. It just varies, but typically at the most, at the minimum average, it's going to be 150,000 in liquid assets. So because of that, um, most people, especially in our community, didn't feel like we qualify for help with financial advising, like financial advising or financial help was something that you got once you got to that point. And since we weren't at that point, then it's like no need to talk to anybody. Well, financial coaching um, is more about behavior and um, what you do month in and month out. And um, it's about debt management and budgeting and income-based goals and you know all of that that can help you get to the point where you work with a financial advisor so working with a financial coach can help you um you know set those baseline goals they'll talk to you um some will help you calculate your net worth evaluate your budget 
and things like that. And I have found a financial coach to be very helpful. Now it is a blurry line. There are financial advisors that provide financial coaching and vice versa. So you, you know, would have to do your due diligence to make sure that you find, you know, the right fit for you. Um, but, you know, we found ours and it was super helpful, but we talk, you know, we talk to them about, you know, our investment strategy. Like if we want to invest in a company, when we are deciding, you know, how much to spend on a house, how much mortgage we should take out. I mean, all of our financial decisions. And we still talk to our financial coach every single month um, about our financial goals. And it's been extremely, you know, helpful for us. So that's, that's the difference between um, a financial coach and a financial advisor. Thank you. So helpful. And I do think that's the message that sometimes the lack of information we have is, oh, that's for them. Them can be whoever. (laughs) Them just means not us. And I think there are so many things that are for us, whoever us is, um, to know that wealth is attainable, right? And that does not have to negate the very reality of systemic oppression and all those things are very real. I just think that sometimes it's the lack of information that we have that makes us feel like, oh, I couldn't do that. You know, I'm very new to learning about investments, but I definitely had the perception that rich people invest. Like you have to have a lot of money to invest. And now I realize, no, like my son is able to invest with the money he makes <laughs> doing his chores around the house. And, and so yeah. that, that opens it up. And then there's a fear of the unknown. Well, I don't know about that. And I don't know. So then we learn about it. And I'm the first one to be like, I need y'all to break this down. Like I'm in like fourth grade. Cause I don't have a foundation in this stuff. And I found that find that people are very willing to be like, yeah, I can, we can break this down very basically this is what this is. And it's just like, oh, well, that's pretty good. And again, when the shame rises, because it does, oh, I should have done this a long time ago. Oh my God, you know, by this age I should have. And I go, "Mm, okay, mindful. I hear it. It's there. I acknowledge it. I accept that it's there, but I'm not going to put my energy and effort into what I didn't do when I didn't know. Now that I do know, what, what am I willing to do? And so that's so great. Now, I know that we could keep talking because I feel like, hey, like there's so much more. And um, I definitely look forward to having you back to continue to grace my listeners with more and more information. But I just think this has been so very helpful. So if people want to get a hold of the awesome book, Seven Figure Net Worth, or just reach out to you, find more information about you. How can people find you? Yeah, so um, one thing I have found in this journey is that people like signed copies. So um, <laughs> I now have um, signed copies available on my website, briellemabry.com, B-R-I-E-L-L-E-M-A-B-R-E-Y. Um, so you can get them there. If you don't care, you can get it on Amazon. The shipping will be quicker. <laughs> The, the books are available on Amazon. And if you want to get in contact with me for any reason, you can fill out the contact form on, you know, my website. And also um, we are building a community on um, Facebook. Um, so you can join there. It's the hashtag seven figure net worth uh, community there. And I am figuring out, you know, how to curate a community that talks about these things. So you can join us and, um, you know, Uh, I put resources in there and spark conversations and talk about goals and things like that. So that will be a community that, you know, hopefully continues to grow and thrive um, in coming years. And so those are the primary ways. Um, If you're on Instagram, you can follow me at wisdom, then wealth, T-H-E-N, wisdom, then wealth. And um, I try to post a hope uh, helpful or thought provoking insight around net worth and life and, wealth building, you can curate me as part of your circle of influence if you want to. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I love it. And I like to round out my um, time with my guests by asking for you to share a fun, little known or interesting fact about yourself. 
Um, so a little known fact about me is that I still sleep with a teddy bear. Um, I am very, very grown and I still sleep with a teddy bear every night. My two daughters, they sleep with their teddy bears too. And, uh, one of the cool things about it, uh, was that when I met my husband, he didn't think it was weird because his grandmother loves bears and she still sleeps with a teddy bear. So it was actually kind of sweet. One of the 10,000 reasons why we were made for each other, but, um, yeah, that's a little known fact. <laughs> that is so awesome. I love that. And I'm like, oh, I have so many stuffed animals. Um, and if I can get my kids to quit climbing in my bed, I could sleep with my stuffed animals. Like, you ain't my stuffed animal move. <laughs> so, Bria, for real, I know. It's, it's <laughs> this family thus far, and it still ain't enough room because they like to take up all room, vertical, anyway. <laughs> So, Brielle, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for your contributions to Black Wealth and, and for being a guest um, and sharing your wisdom with me and my listeners. Yay, and thank you for your authenticity. I loved hearing about your money journey as well. So, I mean, look, we're, we're like you said, we're brave in this together. So. Yes, we are. I love, <laughs> I love it. it. So, thank you. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media, and of course, to you, my guest. Really appreciate that you spend time listening to the podcast. If you want to reach me, if you have suggestions for content or guests, you can find me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We are on all the major social media outlets. Don't forget to head over to Instagram where we have our brand new page specifically for the podcast, the underscore LOL underscore pod. And of course, if you haven't already, give us that five-star rating, write us a review, and don't forget to share the podcast with your friends. Until we connect again, you all be well. <laughs>